0: All right, well, it's good to worship together on this um, special day, and, you know, we plan these um, sermons, like, uh, three months, four months in advance, and you know, God has a way of just timing it perfect, so the day we have donuts and wings and all this, it's on self-control, so, wow, what a test after service, right? And so, um, no, but uh, uh, we just want to celebrate um, all the dads who are here, and uh what a great way to do that! Just to, we get to the end of our, um, you know, series on the fruit of the spirit, and we get to self control. And you think about the nine that were that we went over. You know, gentleness, kindness, and all of the wonderful things that we talked about that we are hopefully growing in. This one is is maybe the hardest: self control. All the others affect other people, right? You. you Demonstrate kindness, you know, to your coworker or patience to your spouse or um, those things. But here, self-control is just me dealing with myself. And we could really argue that um, uh, leading myself, controlling myself is the hardest person to lead and to control. You know, if, if you, you know, at your workplace, if you have people that are below you and you're leading a team of people um, and uh, you're in charge, you know, you might have a few headaches here or there. But um, you tell them what to do and they try to do it and it goes well. Maybe at home you're trying to influence people and, uh, you know, and you're trying to do that and you get some results, but often the hardest is ourselves, right? Um, there was a leadership expert named D. Hawk, H-O-C-K, and he made a recommendation about this and how self-leadership is the hardest. And he says that we ought to spend 50% of our energy leading ourselves and the other 50 towards those above us, those who are our peers, and those below us. And so we often think, boy, um, influencing others, leading others, um, shouldn't I put all my energy into it? But he says, no, 50% ought to be on yourself, leading yourself, um, self-control, self-leadership, improving myself, and how important those things are. Uh, uh, You know, we we think about self-control, and we often think that it is something that is... uh, Oh, what a drag. You know, it's like, man, you're, you're taking all the fun out of this, and, you know, you're, you're going to tell me not to do these things, and, you know, I, we all have a mental list of all the things I had to stop doing or I had to start doing, and it's kind of a guilty thing. But it's more than that. It's, it's, it's way more. It's way deeper than that. It's a lot more than those things. It's really, you uh, know, in, in the original language, that word self-control is mentioned, and um, and it's defined by its root word, which means it's strength. Strength. And so uh, the fruit of the Spirit is really having strength. The strength to say yes, the strength to say no. The strength to do what is right uh, when it is difficult. That takes, that takes a lot of courage and strength. So it's the idea of strength. So it's not just about me saying no to this, this, and this, and that. But it's about the idea of strength. And we look at this uh, wonderful passage in Proverbs 25. Three verses that we look at, and Proverbs is written in a, a poetic way, obviously. There's always like a side-by-side comparison, um, and, and we, we gain some things out of this. And we see here that self-control um, is strength because, first of all, it protects us from uh, the wicked, right? Or the, um, the, the devil and the world that's out there. We have these enemies, these common enemies that are out there. Proverbs 25, 26 we shoot that up, and let's um, read that out loud once together. 25-26. Like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. So here the wicked is defined. And the wicked and the righteous man are compared to a spring or a fountain of water, and now uh, something that makes it dirty, something that pollutes it. And those two are compared side by side. So it says, a righteous man is kind of like a fountain that has been polluted. Right? The, the, the righteous man is not polluted by wickedness. Uh, the wicked is personified here, and we know in the Bible it talks about um, Satan who is out against us. Um, the world is opposed to us. And so there is a common enemy that is out there against us. And so that's why we have to understand what self-control is. Self-control is not like I can't have fun, you know. Uh, you know, church says I can't have fun. Religion says I can't have fun. No, it's the idea that I got to guard myself against the enemy that's coming against me. That there is an enemy against me, and in order to fight the enemy, I got to have self-control. Um, we. we You've probably heard of this, the marshmallow experiment, right? It happened at Stanford many years ago. The marshmallow experiment was a simple exper- experiment. And they've done follow-up similar ones because there's just such a, a, a entertainment value because what they do is they put a, a child who is age four or five and they sit him down. And the, ex- the person doing the experiment comes and sits down with the child and, says, and puts a marshmallow in front of the child and says, you could have this marshmallow Uh, now, or you could wait 10, 15 minutes till I come back, and then I'll give you two, all right, so it's up to you, and then they have a camera on, and the person leaves, and they want to see how the child reacts, it's kind of like torture, right, and so they, they have a marshmallow, and there's some kids are squishing the marshmallow, there's some that are sniffing it over and over, some will lick it and put it back, and there's just some that are like, oh, who cares, you know, like you only live once, and they eat it, And they even had it where um, friends or two kids are placed next to each other, and they're discussing it. And the one's like, you better not eat that. You know, he's going to give you two later. And the other kid's like, I don't care. And they start eating it, and the other kid is just drooling, watching him. And the torture behind it. And they followed up on it over and over because there's that entertainment value in watching the kids. Um, In that experiment, they followed these children and how they did in life, I think, for the next 18 years or until they were 18, I think, and uh, they found, and they, they, they followed these children, and they realized, um, you know, there was a big correlation. Those who were able to say no, uh, did better in life. Those who were just uh, acted on impulse, you know, that was what defined them. You think about this, here, it says there's the wicked is against us. And you get to that verse, and it says, the righteous man who gives way before the wicked, gives way, gives in, you know, the tide is going this way, and they just kind of go with the flow. They give in. They say, hey, I can't do it. And we often have heard people say, oh, I can't do it. The devil made me do it. Or, you know, hey, that's, you know, I, I couldn't resist. And I just, you know, the devil was sitting on my shoulder and talked me into it. I couldn't do it. And that's almost the picture here. They give in to wickedness. That person becomes now useless because the fountain of water that people would run to and would be so valuable... Finding a fountain of water is so valuable. And they go and they say, oh, it's polluted. You can't use this. And so that's what we see here. The second thing we see about self-control is a fight. It's a fight against ourselves. It's the fight against me trying to live for myself, promote myself, glory in myself. Uh, We ourselves are the enemy. You know, the Bible often uses that uh, word flesh, you know, the flesh is our old self, and the Apostle Paul uses this word often. The flesh, you know, versus the new creation. The old flesh, the old is gone. Uh, really, the fight against is against ourselves. So, self-control has now strength over ourselves. Um, Proverbs twenty-five twenty-seven. We can shoot that up, and let's read that out loud together. Twenty-five twenty-seven. It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. Um, so he compares it with eating honey, which tastes good to the mouth. You eat too much, it's bad for the stomach. But he says here, the, the one who seeks glory for himself, it's exciting in the beginning to get the applause of man, but if I seek after it, I realize I wasn't made for that. It would hurt. Uh, Charles Bridges, the uh, Puritan Theologian in his commentary in this proverb says this, a great conflict and a glorious victory are set out, a conflict not in notion but in action. The heart is the field of battle. The heart is the field of battle. You know, a few, what is it, a few years back, there was uh, the tragic death of uh, Amy Winehouse, uh, the singer. Uh, she died at the age of 27 in July 2011. Whether you liked her or not, um, you can't help but to realize how gifted she was. And they had, a, um, they had a, <clears throat> a little documentary about her, and they followed her around. And one of the things, um, uh, there was an article written by Donna Rockwell, a uh, doc, doctor in psychology, and she talks about the price of fame uh, regarding Amy Winehouse. And she quotes how she said, if I could give it all back just to walk down the street with no hassles, I would give it all away." And she concludes this, No one can control fame. That is the problem. Fame is not so much a thing or a place or a station one arrives at and can settle into as much as it is dynamic, that has its own particular trajectory. It is hard to put a bit and reins and a saddle on fame like a wild horse. It has a mind of its own. So. We live in a culture now where it's all about the likes and it's all about the, you know, who sees me and who likes me. And I worry about our kids because that's the only culture they'll know. That their worth may come just from that, that they might be defined just by those things. Who likes me? Who has seen me? Who has commented on these things? And we weren't created for that. Only God is created to become famous. Only God is created to have the glory, and it is not us, right? And there was a, another Amy in history, Amy Carmichael. Uh, she was a, uh, a missionary to India. She was born in uh, 1867, passed away in 1951. She went, long story short, and you can look up her bio, but she went to India served over 50 years in India. She saved these children who were now temple, they were used as temple prostitutes, and she saved them and rescued them into her orphanage. Hundreds of children. And when she had died, they had gone through all of her belongings and they found a lot of uh, photos. And one of the things that they noticed as they were digging through her photos is, there were barely any pictures of herself. It was always of others. It was always of the kids. It was always of the other teachers who were there. It wasn't about her. It 50-some-odd years in that way. We have to fight. We have to be, have the strength to say no. We have to say it's okay when someone else gets the credit. If someone else gets more attention, if someone else gets more spotlight, it's okay that they would have those things. So self-control, what it does is it protects us, thirdly. Um, you look at Proverbs 25, 28, right? Uh, let's read this out loud together. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Right? A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So we see a picture of a city that the walls are broken down and people have uh, raided the city and the city wall is broken, Right? And what we see here is that a man is defined or a woman is defined by the boundaries that they have. The things that they say yes to, the things that they say no to. And here, the person is like a city. They cannot protect themselves. They cannot say yes. They cannot say no. And they are defined not by the things that they stand for and value. They're defined by their passions. Let's do this. Let's do that. You know, I am this, I am that. I'm addicted to this, I'm addicted to that. And they're defined by those things. Um, and so we see this here. So how do we now cultivate the fruit of self-control? And I want to highlight two points here for us. First is, the fruit of self-control is cultivated from the inside out. All right? It's cultivated from the inside out. A couple of verses I wanted to read for us. Romans If we could shoot this up here, and I want to highlight this a little bit. Romans 12, right? Let's read this out loud together. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, it says here that we ought to be transformed by the renewal of the mind. If you've been in church, you know this very well. The renewal of the mind is a picture that we have here of um, the transformation. And the word transformation is used in the Gospels to describe Jesus when he goes through the mount uh, of transfiguration, when he is changed, and he is changed in this way. Right. The second thing we see here um, is from, and I want to highlight this verse for us, Philippians 4.8. And look at this verse here for us, Philippians 4.8. And Paul now tells us this, and let's read this out loud together. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, look at this list, whatever, and look at, just go through the list of the things that we ought to focus on. We ought to take in whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's anything excellence, worthy of praise, think about these things. So we have to now change our minds in order to change the things that we could say no to. Because if we don't change what's on the inside, uh, we will give in often. And so we change our minds. The second thing that we have to uh, fight is to have more desire for God. The fruit of the Spirit is cultivated by growing our desire for God more and more each day. The, the two examples that are used here, right? Number one is the example of the athlete, right? That they have a goal in mind. And the second example I wanna highlight is the value of something. First Corinthians 9.25 says this, um, and we can shoot that up, do we have that? Okay, good. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath but we are imperishable. So Paul uses the illustration of an athlete who is running, who is working hard, who is getting up in the morning, saying no to the bad food, saying yes to the good things, because they're going after something else, something bigger. So we have to now have a desire for God that is greater. We have to love him more than the other things. And the second illustration is, Jesus uses this is the um, the Treasure that is found in the field that's worth so much more. Uh, Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like the treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The person who now understands the value of the treasure goes after it. And they want to go and get that field. And it's worth giving up everything else. A child might see that and say, well, I don't know what the value of that treasure chest is. I don't know what the point of that is. But what we see here is Jesus is saying, no, the, the, the follower understands the value of this. It understands that it's worth me giving up everything for. So in self-control, we have this idea that I have to give up all these things and give it up for the Lord. And I want to challenge us with that thought today, that I could love God more and value and desire him more. And if I could desire him more, I would desire the other things less. Secondly, that I would be changed by taking in the word of God. I would be now living a different life because of what is on the inside. And I would find my value there. And if we could do that, the fruit of self-control would be visible here. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for all that you give to us. And Heavenly Father, we ask that you help us to cultivate this fruit of self-control. And God, often we are the ones who are the hardest to lead to control. And so it is only by the power of your spirit we could do these things. So we go to you. So would you help us do that? Would you help us to live for you in this way? So Lord, more than the moralistic list of the things that we ought to do and not do, God, we just want to love you more. And so we gather here to be reminded of your value. We gather here, Lord, to teach our hearts to love you more. And God, would you help us to do that. And Heavenly Father, I just wanna pray a prayer of blessing upon our dads who are here. And for the dads who uh, have impacted us. And we pray, Lord, for these men, that you would raise them up and help them to love you and to raise and lead their families, um, not with an iron fist, but, Lord God, with a gentle heart and a life that is filled with self-control, God. So we thank you and praise you, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.